Our Father in heaven, we are thankful for this opportunity that we have to come apart from the cares of this life and the busyness of this week and to pause for a few moments as we reflect, as we consider and contemplate heavenly truths. And we pray that you would speak through me this morning, you know that My feet are made of clay. You know my faults, and I thank you that you have chosen the foolishness of preaching. Pray that you'd hide me behind the cross, and may Christ be uplifted, for we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we're beginning a new series of messages, a three-part series of messages that we've entitled, Think on These Things. We're going to be thinking about thinking the relationship of the Christian experience and the thoughts of the Christian experience as well. And I want to invite you, if you have not already, to turn with me in your Bibles to our scripture reading, Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8. This is one of the Bible texts that I have put to my memory. And I'll be honest with you that this was a challenging sermon, and I was in the beginning of this week tempted to change topics because there's something about a verse when it's so familiar, I'm thinking, I, I don't have anything to preach about because everyone knows what this verse is saying in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. And before we get to the heart of it, this text comes from a book or a letter written by Paul while he was in prison to the church at Philippi. It is a prison letter. Now, if I was a prisoner in a jail cell on death row, I'll tell you that my letter would be tempted to be written in a very melancholy mood. The food is terrible. Pray for me. Help me. You know, I don't know when I'm going to get out of here. It would be very melancholy, depressing, and so forth. But this letter is unique in that it is one of the most optimistic joyful, upbeat letters, you wouldn't know that he was in prison, aside from the historical context and the content of the letter itself. And in Philippians chapter 4, he says things like, rejoice in the Lord, how many times? Always. And again, I say rejoice. He says, I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I praise God for you. He is modeling the Christian thoughts. He talks about the mind of Christ in Philippians chapter 2, the attitude, the mindset of the Christian, and he ends on a joyful note. And in Philippians chapter 4 verse 8, the Bible says, I'll be reading from the Pew Bible, 1351, finally, brethren, scholars say that the word finally can also mean in summary, In conclusion, finally, brethren, he's talking to the Christian individuals, the people that have accepted Christ. This is counsel to individuals that are believers. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Paul exhorts the Christian to meditate, to think 
on these things. The word meditate, to dwell upon, to ruminate, that's where we get the word for where a cow ruminates about something. It is not talking about a passing thought. It is talking about the thoughts that we choose to think about on a regular basis. You ever have something that you just can't get out of your head? It just goes over and over and over and over again. That place in your mind that you like to go in your leisure. That spot between your ears, the thoughts and intents of the heart. Where do we go to when we think our favorite thoughts? This is what Paul is talking about, to ruminate, to go over again and again and again in your thoughts. I want to make a few observations about this passage before we get to the heart of the thesis here today. He says, finally, brethren, he's talking to Christians. Now, the fascinating thing about this passage, as you study it and as you make a few observations, is that Paul uses a proportion of adjectives to describe the content of our thoughts. This was so important to Paul that he did not just say, think heavenly thoughts. He could have just moved on. But he goes on in a repetition, adding different adjectives to describe the nature and the quality of our thoughts. This is so important to Paul. He doesn't want us to miss this. And here we have something that we should always do in Bible study. Look at the proportion of adjectives. All right? Just by the proportion of adjective, he does not give one adjective, two or three. He gives six attributes, six adjectives to describe the way that we should evaluate our thoughts. So here it is. Whatever is true, this is from the NASB, whatever is honorable, some translations say honest, but the Greek equivalent is actually honorable. Whatever is right or righteous, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute or literally worthy of praise, if there be any excellence, virtue, if there be anything worthy of praise, think on these things. It'll be interesting to note that this phrase right here actually summarizes what's up here. These things are virtues. If anything worthy of praise is actually a repetition of that portion. So Paul is saying that the way that you analyze your thoughts is through the filter of these things, these virtues, these things that are worthy of praise. True, honorable, righteous, pure, lovely, good repute. Six distinct adjectives describing the quality and the nature of our thoughts. One way to break them down is to look at them in sets of two. There's actually three sets of two when you look at them categorically. The first set is the intellectual criteria. Is it true? Is it worthy of respect? The second criteria is the moral criteria. Is it right or is it righteous? Is it pure? And the last criteria is the aesthetic criteria. Is it lovely and is it praiseworthy? worthy. These are the criteria that Paul elaborates upon that we should use to evaluate our thoughts. Now, for those of you that know me or have been around 
me for a little bit, you'll notice that I carry a black bag, and in the bag, I have this huge water bottle. Okay, it's like mammoth. I mean, it's like this big. And one of the church members actually said, uh, David, it seems like your water bottle's growing every day. Because I started with one of those little silver clean canteens, 16 ounces, and then I got a different one. And then I finally settled with the 64-ounce one. All right? I am a stickler for water. And the reason why it's 64 ounces is because I know that if I drink that, that's eight cups in a day. Okay? And I'm very ah, particular about my water. It's got to be a certain taste, all right? Just call me a water snob, whatever it may be. But I just, I just can't drink tap water. It's like got this metallic taste, and I just can't drink it. It's got to be reverse osmosis, okay? I, I don't know. So I, I, I pay money every week to get reverse osmosis water, and it's just one of those things. My water has to be filtered. Now, even if you get it from the tap, it is filtered. And you would not go to a river. Can you imagine this? Go to Grand River, grab a cup, dip it in there, and, and just drink it. Uh, that water uh, could do some incredible things to you, uh, I, I, I assure you. Now, this is something that is unique. Uh, I bought a filter like this when I went overseas, but this is something that came out. It's a filter, all right? So you do not want to do this, all right? Before you allow that water into your body, I would highly recommend that if you're going to do this, to pass it through a filter, all right? This is a filter that the water passes through before it comes into your system, all right? Very important. That before you accept something into your body, that it passes through this screen, this filter. All right? You do not just accept anything into your body. Praise the Lord. All right? This is the marvels of modern technology. Now, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, it is a spiritual filter. Amen? A spiritual filter. That's what this is. Now, Paul goes through great lengths to help us to evaluate, to filter things before it gets in and ruminates and contemplates and cogitates and bounces around in your head, all right? This is the assumption of many Christians. They think it is more about what I do than what I think. This is a a misconception. Now, God cares about what we do, but what did Paul... What did Jesus say in the Beatitudes? If you look at a woman to lust after her in your thoughts, you are what? Guilty of adultery. If you hate someone, you are guilty of murder. So the Bible goes from the actions, he cares about those, but he goes to the content of your thoughts. And we many times as Christians have this misconception, as long as I don't do it, but I can think it. And here Paul is saying, look, before you drink that water, pass it through the filter. Amen? Everything should be passed through the filter. Before you start tossing it around in your head, you should always pass it through Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Ask yourself the question, is this true? 
There's a lot of things that are not true. You ever hear a rumor about you? All right? Fourth hand, passed down through the line. And you just have to ask yourself, is this true? Have I verified this? Before you start letting it jump around in your head. Is it true? There's a lot of things that are in the news that are true, but is it honorable? Is it uplifting? Is it righteous? Is it pure? Is it aesthetically lovely? Is it praiseworthy? Filter it before you think it. That's what the Bible is saying. Evaluate before you contemplate. Amen. Praise the Lord. So evaluate before you contemplate. Evaluate before you ruminate. Before you allow something into the recesses of your inner sanctum of your mind. Filter it through Philippians chapter 4 verse 8. Ask those diagnostic questions. And if they do not filter or do not make it through that criteria, don't think about it. That's what Paul is saying. Is it true? Is it honorable? Is it right? Is it pure? Is it lovely? Is it praiseworthy? One of the things that we have to deal with now since 9-11 is the joys of travel. All right? When we fly, we have to go through security screening. Okay? Now, as challenging, as inconvenient as it is, I praise the Lord for TSA. Okay? Because what it is, it's a filter. In order to get into the main terminal, everyone has to pass through the filter, and these are signs. All right? I got this from the TSA website. Okay? These things, you know, since 9-11, including box cutters, are not allowed through the security screening. They are caught. All right? I had a precious pocket knife. I had my bag. That is now at some warehouse of TSA, all right? These are things that are not allowed, and I praise the Lord for that. As difficult as it was, this is security screening because they do not allow harmful things into the inner sanctum of that terminal and onto the plane because bad things happen when these things come into that area that is screened. It's a filter. And this is the assumption that Paul uses regarding our thoughts. Why is Paul so concerned about the filter, about what we allow to bounce around in our heads, to ruminate, to cogitate about, to dwell upon, and to ponder? We need to evaluate our thoughts. Now, I have a simple question for you today. Don't answer me, but if there were adjectives to describe the content of your thoughts just this past week, what adjectives would we use? Oh, heaven forbid. Or if on the screen, I would flash your thoughts from this past week, what would they be? What adjectives would we use? Why is Paul so concerned about our thoughts? Because the Bible says, for as he thinks in his heart, what? So is he. This is the biblical principle that our thoughts and feelings make up our moral character. The things that happen in our brains, the things that are tossed around, the things that we meditate upon, the things that we dwell upon determine our character. This is the bottom line. If you are a happy person, you are thinking happy thoughts. 
If you're a depressed person, you're thinking depressing thoughts. If you're a critical person, you're thinking critical thoughts. If you're an uplifting person, you're thinking uplifting thoughts. If you're a person, like one pastor says, that acts like they're baptized in lemon juice, you're thinking sour thoughts, okay? Whatever that is. So this is the thing. Have you ever walked up to someone and it's just like fresh air, all right? It's like uplifting. Well, that really comes. It's not like they have this aura around them that is just this atmosphere. Where does that come from? It, it, it comes from the thoughts. These people are thinking along those lines. You just get uplifted like to the very throne room of grace. I've been in the presence of those people. I want to be around them. You go in their presence and it's just like <gasps> uplifting. And then you go in someone else's presence and it's like, I get depressed. You know, storm clouds, doom, gloom. That's because the thoughts, the character is is exemplified by the thinking that takes place in the mind. And so Paul says, look, before it gets in, evaluate before you contemplate. Our brains are not just to allow anything in. This is not open access. Everything needs to pass through the filter. Evaluate before you contemplate. Filter it before you think it. Pass it through, Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. The thoughts and the feelings combined make up the what? The moral character. In heavenly places, 162. Even the thoughts, she goes on, must be brought into subjection to the will of God and the feelings under the control of reason and religion. Our imagination was not given to us to be allowed to run what? Riot and have its own way. Uh, Where am I? Oh, thank you very much. Without any effort, I think I need to see Marsha Brandon here, okay, for my eyes. Without any effort, at restraint and discipline, if the thoughts are wrong, the what? The feelings will be wrong. And the thoughts and the feelings make up the what? The moral character. In other words, our minds are not just to run riot, go everywhere, you know, and, and just be allowed to think about anything and everything just as long as we do not practice it. The Bible says, look, pass it through the filter. Filter it before you think it. Evaluate before you contemplate. I want to touch on something here. Talk a little bit about media. Now, we are in the midst of something called the great controversy between good and evil, between Christ and Satan. And the Bible tells us in the book of Revelation that there will be a group of people in the end of time that have the Father's what? Name written in their foreheads. They're going to have the character of Christ. There's going to be a people, a generation before Jesus comes, that are going to be just like Jesus. Amen. Which means they're going to be what? Thinking like Jesus. There's going to be another group of people in the end of time that are going to have the mark of the beast. They're going to have the character of the devil. I want you to think about this. There's going to be a group of people that are just like Jesus. There's going to be another group of people that are just like the devil. And which means they're going to what? Think like the devil. And I would conjecture here today that the majority of things that are being piped through the media, through television, the internet, through Hollywood, 
would not pass through the filter of Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. It would not make it through the screening process. All right? Which leads to the assumption or the implication that what the devil is trying to do through the media is get you to think just like him. We need to be careful, friends, because right now the media is in a free fall. The things that are going through the airways today, the debauchery, the depravity, the licentiousness that is coming through the airways is training and transforming a generation to think just like the devil. And we need to be on guard. There's going to be two groups in the end of time, and friends, the devil is not playing games. This is an issue of eternal implications. The media is the medium in which the devil's thinking is transmitted via the airways. Two characters in the end of time. The other thing is the things that bounce around in our head. We have to deal with the media, but we also have to deal with life. Have you ever been in a situation where you're talking with somebody, this happens, and then they say something, okay? They say something, and perhaps it's a little bit passive-aggressive, okay? It's not overt, but it's just like this little thing there, and you don't catch it at first, but it just kind of just sits in there. You know what I'm talking about? Okay, they, they say something in passing, and it just like, just sits in there, and it's so small, okay, so insignificant, but then it just lodges in there, and it starts bothering you a little bit. Am I the only one that this happens to? Okay, yeah, it just just lodges and bothers, and you're more bothered than that you're bothered, okay, and you're trying to shrug it off, but then you just start thinking about it, all right? You, You don't pass it through the filter. It just sits in there, and you start thinking, and then you're like, who does that person think they are anyway? I mean, what did they mean by that statement? All right? I heard one pastor. He bought a new car. Church member came up to him and said, uh, Pastor, see that you got a new car. And he's just like, like, what does that mean? <laughs> you know, he's thinking in his head. And he said, you know, I'm sorry, uh, my, my donkey broke. You know, and, and, and this is the thing, you know, it's just like this, this thing where, where it's weighted, it's loaded, and it thinks, it, and it starts to go in your mind and ruminate, and before long, you have a dissertation building in your mind about what that person has done. You get angrier and angrier and more upset and more upset, and then you say, you know, I'm just in a bad mood today, and it began with that irritant that you did not allow to pass through the filter and get caught and allowed to bounce around in your head, and it steals your joy. This is the challenge of Christians after we accept Jesus. It's the battle for the mind. Now, this is an illustration I've used before. Birds fly over our head every single day. But we, by choice, can choose to not let this happen. Okay? Birds fly over our head every day, but you can keep up them from building a nest in it, all right? So if, if a big 
hawk swoop down on my head, you better believe I would be like, you know, just doing everything in my power to just try to get that thing off, okay? You, don't, you just don't sit there and go, all right, come on. You know, I shampooed today. Just please build a nest here. You know, you, you, you get the thing off. Now, this is the thing. Every single day, we have birds flying over our head. We have thoughts that come in. Now, sometimes crazy thoughts, all right? You're, sometimes a thought pops in my head. I'm just like, man, this is crazy, okay? All right? Now, those things come in from the exterior. I believe that the devil many times can just, like, do things and circumstances and events to, to cause thoughts to flash in your head, or we got a wild imagination. You know, there's things that pop in your head. Now, this is the key. When that thing pops in your head, all right, there are certain things that we should never continue to think about. Amen? All right, certain thoughts that just pop in each and every day. All right, when that bird tries to land on your head, dismiss it. Say, look, I'm going to pass this through the filter. I'm not going to think about this anymore. We should not just be an open access vehicle for these thoughts to just pass through. All right? So when that thought comes in, dismiss it and replace it with something else. This is where the victory lies. And over time, by the grace of God, you can be like Paul in prison and habitually live a life where you breathe the very atmosphere of heaven. Because in your thought life, you have chosen to dismiss and to banish all those wayward thoughts and to think on these things. This sermon, I am preaching to myself. Because by the grace of God, I want to live my life so that whatever happens, I filter my thoughts and I choose to think on these things. We need to a constant sense of ennobling power of pure thoughts and the damaging influence of evil thoughts. Let us place our thoughts upon what? Holy things. Let them be pure and true. For the only security for any soul is what? Right thinking. It begins in our mind. A couple years ago, I had the privilege of being at, in South Africa at a camp meeting. And I had, I had the opportunity to meet this man, Derek Morris, the editor of Ministry Magazine. And he does Hope Sabbath School, by the way, in the Hope Channel. After the camp meeting... Uh, they took us on a little excursion, a uh, safari there in South Africa. It was a real treat. And I had the privilege of being with him in, in the van, in the vehicle. And one of the things I noticed immediately about Derek Morris was like, uh, it was like in, I was in sunshine when he got in the vehicle. He'd get in the vehicle, and it wasn't like this was put on. He would quote a psalm, you know, and he's just oozing with Scripture. And we would be going through different events, and it was just joy and happiness. And I began to recognize that this man had put so much of the Word of God in his mind that his thoughts, his words just radiated sunshine. And it got to the place where I was just like, this is remarkable what has happened. It has been said that a man's thoughts die his soul. And Derek Moritz had dyed his soul with the Word of God, and it became evident to those that
that he came in contact with. And we can have this experience by the grace of God. You know, I, I put in one of my journals, I said, oh, Lord, help me to have the experience like that of Derek Morris, where I'm just oozing Scripture because I put it in my mind. Keep your Bible with you as you have opportunity. Read it. Fix the text in your memory. Even while you're walking the streets, you may read a passage and meditate upon it, thus fixing it in the mind. Story of Linda Jeffrey. She went through three marriages. First two husbands passed away. Her third husband abused her. She was going through a traumatic experience in her life, and she said the thing that kept her steadfast to principle, steadfast and uplifted to the very throne room of grace, was that in church, as a child at the age of eight years, someone challenged her to memorize one verse a day. One verse a day since the age of eight. And she said she's memorized great portions of Scripture to the place where she has memorized chapters and whole passages of the Old and New Testament. And she said that it was the memorizing of Scripture and the hiding of God's Word in her heart that transformed her thoughts and enabled her to go through the trials of her life. And she has written books. She has a ministry ministering to people that are brokenhearted. And she says that it was because she filled her thoughts with the Word of God. It's my prayer today that this year and moving forward, that we will filter our thoughts through Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Amen? Is that your desire? To, to evaluate before you contemplate, to not allow any circumstance or any person steal your joy and that you will habitually think on these things. I want to invite you to stand with me as we prepare to close here this morning. Stand together, every head bowed and eyes closed. You've heard the Spirit of God speaking to your heart here this morning. And you've felt the conviction about your thoughts. Friends, we can't do this alone. We need divine help. We can't control our thoughts. And Jesus can give us the victory. Amen. Just a simple appeal here this morning. You want to say, Lord, by the grace of God, I want to have victory over my thoughts. That's your desire. I want to invite you to come forward at this time. Lord, I need help. That's all you're saying here today. Lord, give me victory over my thoughts. Help me to filter my thoughts through Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Lord, I'm tired of thinking and feeling the way that I have been, and I want a new beginning here today. Lord, help me to filter, to evaluate, to think on these things, and I want to ask Jesus here today to help me control what takes place in the inner recesses of my mind and heart and say, Lord, I need help. I need you to give me the victory. Help me to think like Jesus. Amen. Let's bow our heads together as we pray. Our Father, Lord, we cannot control our thoughts. But Lord, we can give you our wills. And that's what we do, we're doing here today. We submit ourselves to you. Forgive us for the things that we have meditated upon. Forgive us 
for the channel of our thoughts that we're going against the uplifting thoughts of heaven. And Lord, we pray for your transforming grace today. Help us to evaluate before we contemplate. Help us to filter before we think. Help us, Lord, to bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Jesus Christ. We thank you for your transforming power and your transforming grace. And I pray that when you come, that we will be like you, for we shall see you as you are. That's our prayer and our humble desire. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.